Corinthians, and we'll be together in uh, chapter number 5. I mentioned this morning that we're going to look together, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 is going to be um, just a kind of a, a sub-series to our, our book study on a Sunday morning. Um, uh, to be honest with you, my reason for that is, is because some of these matters which he touches on um, are going to be most beneficial to the group that's here and uh, attending tonight. Um, Sunday mornings, the intention of any message that I preach is uh, with the goal that it would be applicable to both the Christian and the non-Christian. Um, tonight, I, not that the gospel is not to be mentioned, but uh, I, I believe tonight I'm talking to uh, mostly, if not all, Christians this evening. And uh, with that in mind, um, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians brings out the matter of how a church responds when there is a fornication which takes place in the church in chapter 5. And in chapter 6, he uh, refers to how the church is to respond uh, when other Christians wrong us and, and whether or not we are to take steps of, uh, of taking it to court and that sort of thing. And, um, uh, and then chapter 7, which we won't uh, uh, probably even get to until maybe next week, um, talks about some of the areas of marriage and along those lines. Uh, but we're going to start together in um, uh, chapter 5 in verse number 6. 1 Corinthians 5 in verse number 6. The Bible says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators. And what he's speaking about here is uh, there, there are to be... Um, there is to be a purging which is to take place within the church. And in this case of the church of Corinth, they were to purge or to remove uh, this sin. And in this case, the sin of fornication. And instead, they were to replace it with sincerity and truth. I've underlined that, that phrase at the end of verse 8. With unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. It is all throughout scripture that when you find the word leaven being referred to, it's always uh, it, it referred in much the same context of uh, something that is filling something up in a negative way, uh, that is not benefiting it. And that's why there is a re reference to that unleavened bread. And we find leaven in more than one instance being illustrated within the Word of God as, uh, as uh, like sin, something which grows as, as leaven uh, within uh, a yeast will cause it to rise, uh, will cause it to, to expand. And so sin within a church, when left, will also expand. And this is, this is the illustration which uh, Paul is giving to here. And you remember in chapter 4, as we looked together, there was a problem which the church of Corinth had, and he identifies it as a pride problem. Uh, let me just review with you for a moment in 1 Corinthians 4. In, in verse number 6, at the end of the verse, he says that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. In verse 8, he says, now ye are full, now ye are kings, uh, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings. He refers again to their pride in verse number 18. He says, now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. In verse number 2 of chapter 5, he says, and ye are puffed up. You know what leaven does? It puffs up, quite literally, it puffs up. And this is what was happening, that, that Paul was helping them to understand 
is there is leaven in the church and it's caused you to become proud. In fact, it is your own pride that has caused you not to identify the sin. In fact, as a result of your pride, not only you're not seeing the sin, but you're letting it exist within the church. You see, what the church, was, the church at Corinth was letting happen is uh, they were letting anyone join the church. <laughs> it, it, they, were, they were allowing the sins and known open sins to exist within the church. And Paul makes it clear, hey, this is a problem. This shouldn't happen. And the particular sin which was taking place, though we would say uh, and, and maybe conclude it to uh, fornication, but on another level of fornication, it was really a, a sin of incest. Here we find a, a, um, a son taking his, uh, his mother and there's a relationship that is there in a way that is beyond inappropriate. It's not God's order of marriage. It's not God's uh, intent in, in creation of man and woman, let alone his order in the family. And the church knows of this sin and the people outside of the church know of this sin. And Paul straightforwardly calls, there's fornication in the church and here's what needs to happen. It needs to be removed out. Now tonight's message it may be more of a teaching than it is uh, as much preaching uh, because the, the, the intent tonight is for us to understand how a church approaches these matters. And we'll see how much time that we have tonight. It's not, I don't uh, want to keep you here all night um, since you've had a busy week. Uh, but um, we understand, the, the, and I believe, the context of both chapter 5 and chapter 6 runs along the li those lines of purging the leaven. There's something that's which need, some sins which need to be removed out. And so Paul discusses the leaven, uh, uh, the, these sins within the church. And that first sin, as we already read, is the sin of immorality. And um, look at uh, chapter 5 and verse number 2. The Bible says, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away among you. Uh, for I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan, for the destruction of flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. He says, you've so allowed this sin of fornication to exist within the church, it's affecting everyone else. No, they may not be living the same kind of lifestyle, but it is, it is stunting your growth. And, and that's why he said just previously that they were being carnal, because uh, they knowing what was right and knowing what they should be doing, yet they were allowing the sin to exist there. And uh, so we see the sin of immorality. And what was it the problem? They, verse 2, the Bible says, they had not rather mourned. They were not sorrowing over the fact that a brother and sister in Christ were committing this great act of sin within the church. It was not a big deal to them. Um, you know, there is a level of big deal. Okay, There is a, there is a appropriate way to approach things when they are a big deal. Uh, sometimes, uh, if a church is not careful, they can overreact to a problem. Uh, and other times, they don't react enough. And, and the Word of God is telling us here, this order within these things is, first of all, there should be, of God's people, when there is known sin, it should bother you. It should shock you. And if it doesn't bother you, then something's wrong. It, it, it should be a clear sign of growth 
when the people of God, uh, out of not looking for the sins of others, but knowing of a sin, are concerned about it. And this is, the problem was, is they weren't even concerned about it. And so here's what he tells them to do. And this we would find, if you were to even take our church constitution, you would find the order of how we would approach a matter of, of this uh, uh, brevity. We would approach it in the very same way as the Bible describes us to do. In verse number two, he says that he that had done this deed might be taken away among you. Uh, he says in... Um, Verse number three, for I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. So he says, I'm not here physically, but I'm here in spirit. Okay, I'm, I'm writing you these things to help instruct you, as we just read in chapter four earlier this morning. I, I see myself as your spiritual parent, and I'm trying to help you to know how to make this right, how to approach this matter. And he says in verse four, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way, anytime a matter is being dealt with, it should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It should be done in the Lord Jesus' name and according to his order. The Bible says, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the first, first thing which they do and are instructed to do is there is to be a gathering together. This is a public known sin, and so because it is a public sin, it is to be dealt with publicly is to be corrected publicly, and it is to be done in an appropriate manner. And we find the church being instructed to gather together. And, um, and, and it is Paul being the uh, speaking as a God-ordained authority, a God-ordained pastor under the God-ordained uh, uh, um, role of the church, who's um, instructing these things. And so there was a gathering together. Uh, we see number two, a removal. Here they identify the problem, and uh, you know, even in our church, the order of these things, if the, we have a deacon board, and it is the, the board, the deacon board, which some have called is to be the sound board of the church, and uh, the, the board is not to be seen, nor is it laid out as we might think of a board uh, uh, over a public business, uh, but over any organization, there should be uh, some structure within it. And the board is with, uh, of people on it who are deacons of the church. And we, we're not going to explain the role of a deacon, but understanding the role of a deacon uh, for the uh, benefit of the, uh, and for the ministering to the needs of the widows within the church, as we find them doing, uh, and even to the uh, benefit of the ministry of the pastor. And, um, and so in our church, here we have a deacon board. A problem comes, the, the, the problem is, uh, discuss it is laid out amongst and with the board together and the pastor and if it's a, a thing that would uh, it is if it is a problem that would need to be um, knowing it's uh, known among the church that would need to be addressed to the church it would be a decision of how to approach that manner but the obvious conclusion would be this the church would be gathered together we would call together a meeting and there would be a proper order for these things and then that second area is that removal and that's why he says in verse 2 he that had done this deed might be taken away from you but the problem was is they had become puffed up and they had not mourned over this and so when he should have been removed this man who had committed the sin rather they allowed him to stay they allowed him to linger and um, 
Uh, the Bible tells us in uh, uh, verse number five to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, some people interpret this differently, and you may disagree with me on my interpretation of this. Uh, I don't believe that the Bible's telling us that if somebody commits a sin, you say, all right, Satan, here they are. They're yours. Okay, that is not what the scripture is saying here. I do believe what he's referring to is deliver them to such an one of Satan. Notice for the destruction of the flesh. You see, it is the intent of the church to be separated from the world and unto God. Remember our calling, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're called into sanctification. And so the church is to be sanctified. We're striving to live the sanctified life. Yes, we are sanctified before God. That is, we are made clean. God does not see our sin, but we are to seek to live a clean life. And why? For the glory of God but also that others would be drawn to Christ through our testimony. But when, uh, when we find a sin such as this, in that sanctification not being the case, uh, there, there must be a removal of. And so when the Bible says to deliver them unto, uh, unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, I believe Paul is saying to put them out of the local assembly and into a sphere of the world for uh, not the destruction of the soul and the spirit, for, but because they have allowed Satan to already take hold of their life. It's not saying that they have lost their salvation. It's not saying that, they, uh, that you, know, you, you remove somebody and that, therefore they, they're not going to go to heaven. That's not what we're saying. Okay? But what the Bible is, I believe, trying to tell us and help us to understand and what Paul is saying is, hey, Satan has already gotten a hold of their life. So remove them from the local assembly where there is to be a sanctified church into a place where there is, there is not sanctity, okay? Where there are, there are not people living for God. And uh, it, the, the church of God cannot grow and cannot move forward if a sin such as this exists. And again, the goal tonight is to understand God's order in these things. He says in verse 11, notice verse 11, he says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, would such an one know not to eat? So don't fellowship with them. Don't spend majority of your time with them. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, notice verse 13, Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Again, it's not that you hate the individual. You hate the sin. Amen? And so if the sin exists, the Bible says, Paul says, it must be removed. And you, there must be a removal of that individual in a properly orderly manner. And in our church, uh, there is an order to that, and particularly of the sin of fornication, if it's a known sin, the, the appropriate way to do that in the a formal way is to is to let the church know that which and what is happening and uh, every church may approach this slightly different the constitution which we have is not inspired but it helps to lay an order and structure to things in the case that you do have a, a matter like this arise but the local church talks about again this uh, when a sin of such a great brevity would exist within the church that the the church must be in the know, there must be a removal of, and there must be a separating of. And uh, I would add to that in number four in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and actually it was 
I don't know, it's maybe three or four months now, we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 together, but he actually refers to this matter again. And some believe he's actually, in 2 Corinthians, referring to the very same man who the Bible tells us took his father's wife, uh, referring to the very same situation. I don't know for that to be for sure in the case. But uh, number four, the area should be forgiveness or to forgive and to restore. Seek forgiveness and seek restoration. And this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us. And I think if you closely notice the words, I don't hardly even need to describe much. It's pretty straightforward. The Bible says, But if any man cause grief... He hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and to comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Knowing who Satan is and knowing that uh, the, 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 that, um, the people understood what, she, what he was saying. He says, hey, somebody's committed sin. Yes, there's been grief within the church. People have been hurt. Uh, the testimony of Christ has been harmed. And maybe there's been a removal. Yes, there's been a gathering together. Maybe there's been a matter of separation. But it does not mean that you should not seek forgiveness and restoration. There is a proper order to these things. And I, I, again... You go back and study this passage. We could spend a long time within this. But understand, God has an order within things. Um, and really, as was testified even tonight, what we heard this week in revival meeting would go right along with this passage in the matter of forgiveness. Uh, true forgiveness is of the heart. It's being willing to say, uh, to, to let it go, to release them of those uh, uh imprisonment should we say uh, imprisonment bonds of unforgiveness and and we're seeking out the best now trust may be lost but forgiveness still must be sought and we must seek to confirm our love toward that individual that they know that we love them but hey we there's some trust that's got to be earned back yes we forgive you but there's some trust that has to be earned back and so uh, there is a time for those things. But the wrong way to approach that is we want nothing to do with you. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. We don't want to have any association with you. And I believe this is what Paul is trying to say, that this is not the way that you approach a matter. There, there must be forgiveness and restoration sought. And, and, and by the way, one can seek restoration, whether this is personally or within a church. But one can seek restoration. But until that individual also seeks restoration, can it fully be uh, uh, God's order of following uh, this manner of forgiveness and, and true restoration, should we say. And so it goes both ways. Um, I would say probably in most cases, not in every case, but in most cases when there is a sin that exists to this brevity, in most cases that individual has so removed themselves from the situation that for the sake of the church, they, they, don't, they don't associate with any way. But it's important for the church to understand that if a matter like this has taken place, that we must have a spirit of forgiveness, that we must seek restoration, 
and there may, that there would not be any roots of bitterness or discontentment or that gunny sack holding on to type uh, personality like we talked about. We're keeping an open heart before God, a clear conscience with man and a clear conscience with God. Because we can yet again stunt our growth if we allow this to come in between. Turn back to 1 Corinthians and um, look again in uh, now chapter 6. We Not only do we see the sin of immorality, but we find the sin of going to court with other Christians. I believe that um, uh, Paul's kind of, uh, in some ways, ranting a little bit. Uh, he's trying to keep his train of thought, but he's kind of taking an avenue off. Because what we find in chapter 5 is him talking about fornication, and then suddenly he veers off and talks about uh, dealing with others to such a great brevity of taking them to court. And then he turns around and talks about the matter of fornication again and how that applies to the body. Um, but it would seem to me within the church that uh, there, were, there were people, whether it was over this specific incident as was just mentioned in chapter 5, but there were people in the church who had problems with each other that they were really ready to take it to court. I mean, this is a big deal in their mind. I will not let this go. Justice must be had. It must be served. And this was the attitude that we see. Notice verse number 1 of chapter 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another... Go to law before the unjust. Now, the unjust is speaking of the unsaved. Okay, So you're trying to deal with a Christian over a law-suited matter that's going to be finally dealt with by an unsaved individual or in front of an unsaved court. Okay, uh, I'm getting somewhere with this, so stay with me. He says in verse 1 and continuing, and not before the saints. Now, this is a question. Okay, In other words, they should already know. That's why he's saying it this way. You should already know that the proper way, he's saying, as a Christian, if there's a problem with another Christian in the church, the proper way to deal with it is in the church. You don't take it to, uh, to court. You don't take it, uh, for that matter, maybe this was what was happening. I don't know. Uh, you, you shouldn't take it back home and tell your whole family about all this problem. You shouldn't make phone calls and tell everyone all this happened to me and you don't understand how much this affected me and and justice must be served the, the, the paul's saying it was a slight sarcasm and bluntness and saying would you why would you not deal with this problem with christians in an orderly and and, and christian-like manner verse two do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world and if the world shall be judged by you are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters Notice that word, the smallest matters. Paul's calling what they are getting all uptight about petty little things. You guys are making mountains out of molehills. <laughs> you are making a huge deal out of something so small. Uh, must, must Christians at, act this way is the questions which he's bringing out. All these verses, the first three verses are all questions. Okay, He's, he's asking them not as though they don't know, he doesn't know the answer. He's asking them to try to get them to think because they do know the answer. Okay, Verse 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, Set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Uh, uh, verse 5, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. Now remember the context as we've studied thus far together in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's mentioned much about the wise and the foolish. The wise man thinks with the mind of Christ. The foolish man thinks like the unsaved. And this is exactly what he's referring to in verse 5. He says, the wise man, is there not a wise man among you? That is to say, 
Is there not a person seeking true wisdom, as is found in the mind of Christ, that you would do this and judge, verse 5, between his brethren, that you would handle this matter amongst Christians? Verse 6, but brother goeth to law with brother. Okay, Christian goeth to law with Christian, and that before the unbelievers. And they're doing this in front of the unsaved. Verse 7, now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather uh, uh, take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Notice the two questions that he ends with in verse 7. Why, ye do not, why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Okay, taking wrong, something had happened. Whether it was, it was something physical, okay? Something happened. Something wrong had happened. He says, why don't you just take it and let it go? <laughs> why don't you just take it and properly deal with it in the matter of forgiveness? There also was some financial situations here. Maybe someone had taken advantage of something. I don't know. But he uses the word defrauded. He says, uh, why would you not just suffer yourselves? Why would you, in other words, here's the conclusion of what he's saying. Why would you harm the name of Christ? by taking this to court in front of the unsaved and causing them to see your testimony of Christ ruined by your anger and your envying and your covetousness towards one another, why would you hurt the name of Christ and not just simply say, you know what, all people are sinners, so they, they did a wrong towards me. I'm going to deal with it, I'm going to keep it where it started, and I'm going to handle it properly. Understand when he says dealing it with among the Christians, he's talking to the church and amongst the church. The church has a pastor. God ordains the authority of the pastor. And the, the pastor, as much as I would like to say, yes, he preaches and helps the people within the church to be held accountable and to, to grow in Christ. But the pastor also helps to deal with problems. <laughs> and as much as I'd like to say there is a perfect church out there, but there's not. And as much as, as close to perfect as I would say Community Bible Church is, we are not, okay? And, uh, but problems uh, are to be dealt with in an appropriate manner. And God ordains the church. It's God's institution. God ordains the pastor. It's God's leader. And so when a problem takes place amongst Christians within the church, they're to be dealt with in the place and among that same leadership. Now, you may disagree with me, but I believe when the Word of God is instructing these things and Paul's asking the question in this manner, that this is the appropriate way that, that a Christian is to uh, handle these things. And I, I don't just believe that. I believe it's biblical. And I believe the Word of God makes those things very clear. Um, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. There are some matters that may need to be handled in court. And praise God for companies and institutions like Christian Law Association and others who are there to uh, be available for the Christians that have legal matters that concern that need to be properly dealt with. But their goal and intent is that it be dealt with to not harm the name of Christ. And what Paul is saying is, is you guys are taking this to such a matter that you're going to hurt the name of Christ. Uh, Christ's name is not going to be honored by what you're doing. Even for the individual themselves whom you're seeking to take this to court for, they're not going to they're, they're question their mind, and this person calls them a Christian? At the very least, at the very least, if any person has been lost in being brought to Christ, it's that person whom you're, or if any person has been lost in growing in Christ, it's going to be that person whom you've got a problem with. And, um, uh, and could I say along these same lines, uh, he, he talks about these smallest matters. You may not want to take something to court with another individual, uh, but be careful within the house of God not to make something that 
in the long run is so small not that it would not become something so big like it's the biggest problem in the world like the whole church is falling apart and I believe that that is so much of how uh, Paul is writing here this is one of the smallest matters he says and now he turns around and talks about the sins of the body. And this would be uh, the last point this evening uh, of these sins. He's talked about the, the sin of immorality within the church, how to deal with it. He talked about the sin of going to court with other Christians and how to deal with it. And then he talks thirdly about the sins of the body and, and um, how the body does not belong to the Christian. And I don't intend to spend forever here, but uh, let's look at verse number 8 of chapter 6. The Bible says, Nay, ye do wrong. And defraud that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Okay, here's what they are not to be. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. In other words, he says... Some of you have the same problem. <laughs> but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord. He says, hey, you are Christians. Uh, you have been, those words, those words of doctrine that he brings out, you're washed by the blood of Christ. You are sanctified in the eyes of God. You are justified. God sees you as though you have never committed any sin. And he says, therefore, you should live that same way. Uh, but he says, your carnality, he's referring to again, you're not living that way. Some of you are doing these very same things, Paul says. Verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Uh, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Notice verse 13, meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Now before I go any further, understand we're talking about a body of Christ, but yet in the same sense, there are individual bodies, okay? That's you and I, our body, all right? All the actions which he's just referred to, all those sins, are sins and acts which can be committed by our physical body, okay? And so he says first in this matter of the body, he says, your body was given to you. Notice again verse 13, I just read it. Meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for who? Who is it for? The Lord. So the Bible tells us, number one, your body was given to you. Paul tells us, remember, you're committing all these sins with a body that was given to you by God. <laughs> if that doesn't make you stop and think, then it should, Paul says. Because understand, you're committing these sins in the very eyes of God with a body which he has gifted you with. With, with, with a body that comes directly from him. And he talks about those meats for the belly and bellies for meats. Uh, he, he's talking about those physical appetites, the primary purpose uh, of your body. But, but they are not to be with a pursuit of lusts. Okay? And I believe uh, in my interpretation of this passage that now he's taking that matter of fornication to a broader sense. Because we can commit adultery, so to speak. We can break a relationship, break a promise with God. We can ruin a relationship with God 
by committing a sin before him. The Bible describes the Christian life with God and our relationship with him as a marriage uh, uh, illustrated life. Uh, the bride of Christ and uh, the, the, the husbandman we find him as and, well, the, the, and all of these things in our relationship with God in that very same matter, we can break that relationship. And so with that context and understanding, when he says fornication, uh, I believe he's taken that to yet an even further extent. That you are committing a spiritual fornication. No, it may not be under the ends of sexual sins, but you're committing a sin that you're committing sins that are breaking promises with God. It's breaking your relationship with God. And so he says, understand, your body was given to you. Number two, your body is not your own. Verse 15, he says, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. And so the Bible tells us that every part of your body is to be the Lord's. Your body is not your own. Again, remember that the Word of God was not written in chapter divisions. Those are added for our understanding and to help us to, to maybe even better comprehend and find passages of Scripture. But that the, the people to whom he's writing to, he just got done saying in chapter 1, as we would find it, that you are called to be sanctified and in fellowship with other believers. This is your calling. This is the type of lifestyle you are to live. God has called you to be that because you are believers. But he says, you're not living with a body as though it belongs to God. You're living with a body as though it belongs to you. But he says, God's given you that body. Your body is not your own. Paul says, the moment that you receive Christ, that moment you gave your life to Christ, and that included your body. So now what you do with your body is doing it in a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And that's why he says, uh, and lastly, in, in closing, he says, your body is bought with a price. Um, notice verse 16. What? No, and again, notice the sarcasm. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? If you haven't circled that in your Bible, I would. Verse 19. Ye are not your own. This isn't your body. Whose body is your body? Should be the question we ask. Uh, are, are you letting your body be so given to God that you are not allowing uh, your body to be used to commit any sins that would, be, um, that would harm the very name of Christ? This is why the Christian does, does in, separates from the things of this world that would harm the body, such as alcohol and, and tobacco and, and, uh, and, um, all, and all of these things uh, that, that would harm the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that's what he says, know ye not this? Have you forgotten that, yeah, you're committing all these sins, yeah, you, you're, you become puffed up and proud about it, and you may think that it's all hunky-dory, but... God lives inside of you, and you're committing those sins where the Holy Spirit dwells. Boy, that, 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 has always, that verse has always taken me back. Because every time I commit a sin before God, I'm doing it with God living inside of me. That, if, if that doesn't cause you to think, it should. Uh, because how often, how often we can lie with a body that doesn't belong to us. How often... We can lust with a body that doesn't belong to us. How often we can covet 
with a body that doesn't belong to us. How often we can gossip with a body that doesn't belong to us. And we could go on and on and on and on and on. All, all these sins that he just mentioned in the chapter, these are the sins which can be committed with the body. And he says, understand, your bodies, yes, you are a body of Christ, but your physical bodies, you're not seeing as it being longing to Christ. You're saying, this, my body belongs to me. This is why... Um, Teenagers can sometimes struggle uh, when they are trying to comprehend being taught, you know, why can't I have a tattoo or why can't I smoke or why can't I chew or why can't I do these things uh, with my body? Why can't I have these types of piercings and all these things? It's not, a, it's not even so much about we always want to say, well, what can or can't I have? You know, and we want a list of exactly what those things are. The conclusion should simply be this. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the reason why we choose to do things or not to do things is because God dwells inside of us. And God forbid that we should harm the very name of Christ by what we choose to do with our body. Amen? And, uh, but, but, but Paul's just, la just laying these things out. And, I, and, and it, more than laying them out, he's, he's being a little bit sarcastic. He's not shaming them, as we read in chapter 4. He's warning them. He's helping them to understand, hey, you're not dealing with these sins properly. They're clearly in the church. They're clearly a problem. And, and uh, as a Christian, you are to purge them out. Because what you're allowing to do, he says, is those sins are existing, and it's puffing you up, and it's causing leaven to exist. And how much leaven do you need within a lump to ruin the whole thing? Right? And that's what he's saying. And so uh, what can we take from this? Hey, that God has an, an ordained church. God has ordained leadership, uh, the pastor and the deacons, and if there's a sin within the church, there's a proper way to deal with them, uh, and, and there's an appropriate way to approach them, and uh, some, you know, uh, we've got to be able to trust that leadership, the God-ordained authority. We've got to be able to get behind that leadership. Uh, we've got to be able to, um, uh, then at the same time, knowing what the Word of God says, follow God's Word, and Trust in it. Be content with, this is God's way of how to approach these sins. Um, I don't wish sins upon our church, but um, I try to, uh, my goal is to be practical when I say this, but, you know, if you, if you know of a, of a sin, maybe somebody comes to you and they say, hey, you know, I want you to know that I saw so-and-so, they were sitting at the bar the other night and they were, they were drinking all kinds of alcohol. Here's the way you approach that. And again, I'm being practical in this, okay? Uh, you, 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 the first response, knowing they're in the church, should be to call the pastor. Not because the pastor knows it all, okay? Because in this case, this pastor sure does not know it all, okay? Uh, but it's something in the church, it's someone in the church, and there's a problem that's known and it's harming the name of Christ. You're taking that problem to the God-ordained leadership, and at that point, you leave it there. And you believe that God, God's power, as Paul refers to it, he, the Holy Spirit, is going to lead that God-ordained authority to deal with it properly. And are there some cases where things aren't dealt with properly? Yes, but you know who's going to be held accountable to God for that? That God-ordained authority. And, uh, you know, and, and so, but, but the problem can be sometimes is when we know that there's a problem, that we can do one of two things. We can either hold on to it, and we don't tell anybody, and this is what the church at Corinth was doing, they were just letting it exist, or we can talk about it amongst one another, and we're letting the leaven within the lump grow. And now it's influencing others and hurting the name of Christ within the church. 
you understand what we're saying here? And um, I, I don't think you can get any more practical than the way Paul lays things out. Uh, how much more black and white can you get than, than how he lays these things out? But God has an order to things. May God help us to do as his word tells us to be a church that approaches things decently and in order. Amen? And that uh, God forbid that, that sin would be left and existent within the church, but that all of us would seek to live a sanctified life and uh, that we would be content with nothing more. And um, doing as Paul said in chapter 4, I am, I am simply uh, seeking to disciple others to Christ, grow in my relationship with God, but disciple others in Christ that they would also grow in Christ just the same. And that, that should be what our eyes are upon. Amen? I know a little bit of a unique uh, service tonight, but uh, um, these things are important for us to know. I think that there are very likely, some maybe even here this evening, that up until tonight, maybe you did not know these things. You know, had not understood the God's order to these things. Uh, one thing that I do with this type of information is I use the blank pages in my Bible, and I write down those passages of Scripture. Because undoubtedly, sometime down the road in your Christian life, somebody's going to ask you, or if it's not your own children, <laughs> they're going to ask you, how do you, you deal with these things? And you'll have it right there. And you, you, you've left your notes right and available for you. Um, those, these are one of those matters that, that that would be helpful to you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to...